We are thrilled you're with us today to worship the Lord, to study from His Word, and we invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. We look at this account of the murder of John the Baptist. Now this account is much longer in the Gospel of Mark. There will be later times that we will incorporate things from Mark in our examination of the passage. It is briefly touched upon also, which I do not indicate in Luke 9, verses 7 through 9. But let's read the text. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his guest and because, because of his oath and because of his dinner guest. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. And doesn't he end well? Keep thinking about that. Is there any light to this story? Any light? Any hope? Mark's account is actually almost twice as long in words as Matthew's. Herod the Tetrarch hears the news about Jesus. Everyone was hearing about Jesus and Herod Here's this news. Now, this Herod is the son of Herod the Great who commanded all the babies to be slaughtered around Bethlehem, all the male babies in Matthew 2. He is the son of that man. He is the brother of Archelaus who was mentioned in Matthew 2. And you remember in that passage... The Bible tells us that Joseph and Mary being warned of God in a dream took Jesus into Galilee outside of the area of Archelaus. So he doesn't have good family connections. 
He's mentioned in the Gospels in Luke 13, in verse 31, as some Pharisees tell Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. And he is mentioned as having a part in the trial of Jesus. In Luke 23, verses 6 through 12, this is the Herod that we are discussing. Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and when he hears about Jesus and he hears about his miracles, John didn't do miracles. According to John 10 verse 41, he didn't do miracles, but when he hears this news about Jesus, his guilty conscience is bothering him. And he says, this is John the Baptist, risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. You remember last week that the people of Nazareth asked in 1354, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Same kind of question in verse 56. This is Herod's answer. Herod's answer is, it's John the Baptist risen from the dead. I want to say something about this that I want you not to miss. We believe the miracles of Jesus are real. But understand, we talk to some people who do not. Herod believed in the reality of the miracles of Jesus. Herod says, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. When he knows that Jesus is being sent to him. In Luke 23 and verse 8, the Bible tells us he was hoping to see some sign performed by him. If somebody had written a book in the first century that Jesus of Nazareth didn't really do miracles, Herod would not have bought it. Because Herod knew, like all the people of that day knew, Jesus' miracles were real. His enemies might attribute it to Satan, but they could not deny that he had really done miracles. And then we have a flashback to what happened to John. The reason that he had put John to death, he had first arrested him, bound him, put him in prison because of his wife, Herodias. And John was saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now the Greek, that is the imperfect tense, which often indicates continual action. It may have been that John did not just say this once and drop it. John kept saying, Herod, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now, I want you honestly to look within. If you had been John's advisors, would you have told him, just drop it with this? But he doesn't. 
He doesn't bother. It's not lawful for you to have. Herod likes to think he's a leader. And the text says he wanted to put Jesus to death, but he dared not do it. Because he's afraid of the people. Because all the people are persuaded that John is a prophet. Isn't it amazing how people that are leaders are often afraid of public opinion? Herod wants to be a leader, and he's not a leader. He's afraid of what the people think. He's afraid later of what the dinner guests do. Herod's not a leader. He's not mad enough to run his own house. His wife tells him what to do at every turn of the corner. But this is this leader, Herod. But in Mark 6.20, we are told a detail about Herod that's interesting. In Mark 6, verse 20, the Bible tells us Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. Herod wanted to put him to death, Matthew says, but Mark also tells us at the same time he was afraid of John. He was afraid of John because John confused him. He was holy, he was righteous, and he was perplexed by John. He listened to him. He liked to listen to him, but, but he couldn't figure John out. And may the Herods of the world not be able to figure us out either. Because we march to the beat of a different drama. Herod was interested in power. He was interested in sex. He was interested in money. John is wanting to serve the Lord. And Herod can't figure this out. But on one day when Herod has a birthday party... The daughter of Herodias comes in and dances before him. He is so moved that he says, I will give you whatever you ask. Mark qualifies it up to half the kingdom in Mark 6 in verse 23. And when she is promised half of all he wants, half of all he has, she asks for the head of John the Baptist. Herod knows this isn't right. This wasn't within the parameters of the promise. It's made a promise to give her a gift, not to commit a crime, not to commit a homicide. But he doesn't have enough courage before his guest, which included in Mark 6, in verse 21, his lords, his military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. He doesn't have enough nerve to stand up to them and say, no, I'm not going to do it. That's not a legitimate request. You're asking me to murder an innocent man without a trial. 
Maybe you can think of another time Herod was involved in murdering an innocent man with a kangaroo cord. John is beheaded. His head is brought to the girl on the ladder. His disciples bury him. And they come and tell Jesus. It takes a little bit of courage to identify with this man that was beheaded. Now, does that have any lessons for us? You better believe it does. It has all kinds of lessons. But focusing on a few. Lust makes fools of the most powerful of men. Lust makes fools of the most powerful men. And you see this in a couple of ways in this text. First of all, the Bible talks about the relationship between Herod and Herodias. And it was the rebuke of this relationship that led John to be in prison to begin with. He said to you, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now, what do you know about Herodias? We do not know anything else in Scripture. But we can know some things about her from Josephus. Josephus mentions this marriage, Josephus mentions how it came about. Now I want you to follow this. Herodias was already Herod's niece. She was married to his brother Philip, who lived in Rome. Herod, Antipas, the subject here is married to the daughter of a king who's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 11, verses 32 and 33. Herod's married, Herodias is married. Herodias is married to Herod's brother. Herod visits his brother in Rome. He visits his brother in Rome and he's attracted to his brother's wife. His brother's wife. And they talk together and he agrees that he will divorce his first wife if she will come and marry him. What person visits his brother to try to woo away his wife? What kind of person does that? The same kind of person. The same kind of person that would be seduced by his stepdaughter dancing. That he would make the outrageous promise I will give you everything. Up to half my kingdom. 
Characters like Herod are recorded for us in Scripture that we might see their emptiness, that we might see their foolishness, that we might not follow down their path. He's driven by sexual lust. He has the power to get whatever he wants. And he looks like an utter fool. Proverbs 31, verse 3. Warn kings, do not give your strength to women. That which destroys kings. Kings are particularly warned against sexual immorality because, again, this unbridled power leads people to think, I can get whatever I want. I can take whatever I want. Even taking his brother's wife and lusting after his wife's stepdaughter. Now, Lest you think, well, that is hairy, as wicked, as despicable it is. It could never happen to someone who's more godly and better than that. You remember the story of a man who went on his roof, who saw a beautiful woman bathing. He saw her, he sent and inquired about her, then he took her and committed adultery with her. And when he committed adultery with her, then the text tells us he begins to panic and tries everything to cover his sin because sin is embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing. It shames us, it exposes us. He even kills the woman's husband to cover his own sins. And you know, as well as I do, that this doesn't just apply to kings. We are shown these pictures of kings to tell us how sexual lust can destroy us. In the picture of the foolish young man who succumbs to seduction in Proverbs chapter 7, the text says in verse 24, Now therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray in her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is a way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Lust makes fools of powerful men. of unimportant men, of men and women. Just received a note this week.
from a person who knew these warnings well and did not listen. And he said, I will spend the rest of my life regretting what I did. Those passing moments of pleasure are no compensation for the grief and agony and heartbreak my sin has brought to others and me. May God help us to be warned by Herod. But I'll tell you something else the story shows us. It shows us how ugly, how pathetic, how horrible revenge looks. Notice these statements in the text. Herod had John arrested. He bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of Philip. In verse 8, having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. In verse 11, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. This is the reward that she gets. When the daughter was promised, I'll give you everything up to half the kingdom. She settles on the head of her enemy. As I was reading this this week, I'll tell you a verse I thought about. You remember when the Lord appears to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3? It says, ask whatever you will, and I will give it to you. And he said, Lord, I am but a child. I do not know how to come in and how to go out. Give me a wise and discerning heart that I may be able to lead these people, that I might be able to judge these people. And God says, you have not asked for yourself riches. And you have not asked the life of your enemy. 1 Kings 3, verse 11. 1 Kings 3, 11. Solomon did not ask for the lives of his enemies. And I'm thinking sometimes when I've read 1 Kings, well, who would do that? Well, here's your answer. Herodias is given this kind of promise. And she asked for the head of John the Baptist. All her power, all her wealth, all that she had at her fingers, but she can't be happy as long as this one prophetic voice continues to say, you're wrong. She can't live with that. He has to be eliminated. And somehow, I suppose, people like Herodias 
when this enemy is gone, they're quickly able to find others like that. But, but also, it, it brought to mind something else. That promise, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. Same language of Esther, three, Esther 5, verse 3. Esther 5, verse 6. Esther 7, verse 2. Esther asked for the salvation of her people. She asked for the lives of her people to be spared. Herodias wants John the Baptist dead. But Herodias kind of fits Haman in the story of Esther. You remember the man Haman in the book of Esther? He was promoted by the king and everybody was commanded to bow down before him. And everybody did bow down except Mordecai, the Jew. Mordecai did not bow down before him. And Haman is so filled with anger, he is so filled with revenge, he is so filled with hostility that he wants to destroy the whole Jewish people. And one day he's going home, home from the banquet that the king had with him and Esther. And he is on cloud nine and he talks about his power and he talks about his big family. And he talks about all the exclusive doors that were open to him and to him alone. But he says, none of this does me any good as long as Mordecai the Jew. is at the king's gate. If your heart is filled with hate and revenge, no amount of money, no amount of power is going to satisfy. Because with your life, with my life, with everyone's life, there will always be a critic. There will always be a skeptic. So why? And I have seen Christians who have let the slight injustices they have experienced comparative to the big scale derail their entire life of faith. I like to try to point out how Old Testament, Old Testament foreshadows the events of Christ's death and resurrection. I love it. I love thinking about it. I love talking about it. But it's not just true of the Old Testament. It's true of events in the gospel. What happens to John foreshadows what happens to Jesus. John is handed over in Matthew 4 verse 12. All these verses are from the gospel of Matthew. John is handed over. The same word is is used many more times of Jesus, many more times than what this screen reflects, of Jesus being handed over to those 
who would do harm to him. John is seized or John is arrested. So is Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. John is bound and Jesus will be bound and taken to Pilate in John 27 and verse 2. In both cases, there are rulers who don't really want to execute them. Herod doesn't really want to execute John the Baptist. Even Matthew's account shows us that. Even though he doesn't include that statement of Mark 6 verse 20, it tells us when the king heard the wolf, his daughter-in-law's stepdaughter's request, he was grieved in 14 verse 9. He didn't desire to execute him. And Pilate doesn't want to execute Jesus. Now here's a point of difference. Here's a point of difference. In both cases, rulers' wives are involved. Herodias is the force behind John's destruction. And John's beheading, she's the force behind that. Pilate's wife sends Pilate a message and says, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for last night I suffered much in a dream because of it. Pilate's wife comes over as a heroic character who wants to speak in Jesus' behalf. The opposite of Herodias. But in both cases, he's buried by his disciples. Now, the Bible is a marvelously written literary piece. It is remarkable. We point out these things in pieces of literature and teachers uh, are open mouth. It's all in Scripture. But it's more than simply telling us the Bible is written in an engaging way from a literary standpoint. It's more than that. It does more than that for us. Let me illustrate. John the Baptist. I baptize with water. But one who's coming is greater than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John preached about this coming Messiah. And he says, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. That's what John said of Jesus. John is arrested. John continues to be in prison. As he continues to wait in prison, He's beginning to wonder. He sends a message to Jesus in Matthew 11. Are you the promised one or do we look for somebody else? Do you sympathize with that question of John? I understand it. Wait, Lord, this is not the way I thought it would work out. This is not how I thought this would look. But you see, the fact that Jesus experienced all the horrible suffering that John did, and even more, makes this look different. Our suffering and our pain looks different in light of his pain. He does not send us out 
to the battle. He leads us to the battlefield and takes the brunt of the enemy's hatred and hostility and walks with us, walks with us in our trials. As Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, though you pass through the fire, I will be with you. But really, we are to see all events in the Bible and in this gospel in light of the climactic events of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me ask what I did at the beginning. Does that make this account look differently? We may read it and we may be distressed. And I'll tell you, personally, when I read this, sometimes I'm distressed as well. But look at how this foreshadows the experience of Jesus. Does Jesus' resurrection make the end of John's story seem different? Does Jesus, the fact that he experienced the same treatment and that wasn't the end, but that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he was triumphant over death, does that make John's story look different? Who looks like the loser now in light of the resurrection of Jesus? John or Herodias? This wasn't their last meeting. Listen to this verse. Then I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, beheaded again, because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who would not worship the beast or his image. And he had not received the mark on his forehead and on their hand. They came and reigned They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It's Revelation 20 verse 4. Now I'm not going to explain everything about that verse this morning. But I want you to notice that it is those who have beheaded, been beheaded. Who are pictured as having overcome and are setting upon thrones. And judgment was given to them. For all the Johns of history who had pointed out to the corrupt Herods that it's not lawful for you to do that. It's not lawful for you to have her. For all the Johns of history, there will be vindication. John beheaded and buried by his disciples isn't the end of the story. This story, this gospel story ends with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and for all those who put their absolute trust in him this 
is a happy ending. May our trust be as John's. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God. You are God. In the sunny days and in the dark ones. You are God when Hezekiah and Josiah reign. And you are God when the Herods and the Neros reign. Help us, Lord, to hold on to you. To put our complete trust and confidence in you. To be faithful disciples. To be loyal followers. To never deny your name. Help us, oh God. Help us to avoid the destructive paths that the family of Harry took. Help us to avoid the way of lust, the way of revenge. But let us say as Eli, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his sight. Help us to trust you and follow you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There is power in the blood of Jesus You know one thing that's amazing in the New Testament? We see two people. Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. There is a woman named Joanna, who is a follower of Jesus, the wife of Cuzza, Herod's steward. It's Luke 8, verse 3. In Acts 13, verse 1, among those talented people at the church at Antioch was a man named Manium, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Some of your versions even have he was a foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. Even for people who have lived their lives to lust and power and hate. There is forgiveness if they will only accept it. If you believe it, you're willing to repent and be baptized into him. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.